Welcome to the Nonprofit Growth Show, presented by Nonprofit Megaphone, the podcast where we highlight nonprofit leaders in the trenches who share the strategies and tactics they use to grow their organizations and make a difference each day. As we like to say, if you want to be discouraged by a general sense of decay, read the news. But if you want to be inspired by concrete stories of growth, talk to a nonprofit. Here's to the modern day superheroes, the nonprofit leaders. Let's dive in. Hey, everyone. We're here with Edie Bernard. She's the Director of Development and Communications at the Missouri Charter Public School Association. Edie, thank you so much for being with us. Well, thanks for having me. Absolutely. I am thrilled to uh, hear more about your experience. You've had a variety of um, different cool experiences that we'll jump into. But at the beginning, I would love if you could dive in with a story of maybe something dramatic or climactic or exciting or nerve-wracking that has happened in your development career. I'd love to hear what the story was and how it all worked out. Wow, that's uh, well. You know, I've worked in um, nonprofit um, agencies for a long time now, and I guess one of the things that's always constant is often we're you know always working on soft money. So um, anytime that uh, you're working on soft money, any type of fundraising activity or development activity is pretty critical. Um, so there's been plenty of times when we've been kind of, kind of down to the wire, we're a small nonprofit, um, and, uh, we are, you know, constantly looking, um, for support and investments from our community. Um, but, you know, keeping that constant flow of income to run a business is, you know, is somewhat, somewhat challenging. So, you know, I think, I, I think, one of the things is, you know, making sure that we're, we have a stream of income coming in to support the, the work that we're doing kind of creates a dramatic situation most of the time, or, you know, it's just sort of ongoing. Um, and I don't know if there's one particular instance that I can think of in particular that was really, you know, overwhelming, but I think it's just the constant day-to-day um, uh, work that we do that, that kind of provides that sort of foundation. Absolutely. No, that's really fair. And I love the call out that it's just, (laughs) it might not be a dramatic moment, but it's sort of like every day is its own dramatic moment in terms of keeping the lights on and keeping things moving forward. Um, Looking at your career and sort of your evolution within the space, I'd love to hear the story or the journey of how you got to where you are today. Well, um, I was a professor and and still teach adjunct part, um, part-time, which of course that's what adjunct means. But anyway, um, I was a full-time professor for a long time, about 20 years. And um, during that time, I was always working on different projects. And uh, I got, I taught media communications and video production, that sort of work. And I got really interested in um, just the concept of how media impacts our lives, um, how we make decisions, um, behavioral impacts, how we know what we know, all of these sorts of things. And I thought, and at first I thought, well, of course, people know this, right? We kind of live in this mediated world. And the more I talked to students, the more I realized no one really ever gave it too much thought. So I thought, well, what we need is that we need to have a um, an organization that is dedicated to raising awareness about media literacy or media education. And, um, so I started going to a bunch of conferences and, um, eventually, uh, developed, you know, filed paperwork to develop a 501c3 and, 
um, we hung out our shingle and we started doing that work and, and did that work for about 10 years. And it was, you know, probably some of the most meaningful work that I've ever had the opportunity to do. And we worked in schools with um, usually urban and or real rural populations of students and just talked about, you know, how, what, you know, what media, how media impacts their lives and, and how, you know, the media might see a kid that lives in St. Louis, that lives in a particular neighborhood. And then uh, we empowered them to also tell their own stories. So that was what got me started in it. And I guess I kind of found that I had a little bit of a knack for grant writing and, um, and then ultimately took a position with the Missouri Charter School Association, which was a really great fit for me because it um, encompassed um, education. And, uh, you know, I still had, um, you know, some sort of in a very small way an impact on, on education in our community. Um, and so it was a good fit. So that's, that's kind of how it started. And so now I've been doing this work which, you know, 15, 20 years too. So throughout my, throughout long Incredible. career. <laughs> Absolutely. That's such a cool story. And I love, um, I love that you have experience not only working for nonprofits, but also setting one up. That's a really fascinating background. And I'd love to zoom in maybe on specifically Missouri, Missouri Charter Public School Association. Is there a story that you could tell us that sort of captures the essence of the work that that organization is trying to accomplish? Yes. I, well, I, I, I'll tell you um, a story that's going on right now. Um, we represent, of course, there's charter schools in Missouri. And in Missouri, they're only um, allowed to operate in the urban areas, so St. Louis and Kansas City. And um, what we really do is our our, our objective is to primarily um, work at the policy level to make sure that there is equitable policies or um, positive supportive policies that impact education. And um, right now we're working on an issue. There is a funding inequity, um, really it's a loophole in the law, but uh, what it results in is that charter school children who are public school children on average receive about $1,100 just less per child. Um, than any other traditional public school child receives. So when, yeah, so when you add that up, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a lot, you know, it, it has to do with how many teachers you can have in a school, you know, um, whether or not you can have, you know, different types of programs, technology, transportation, you know, it impacts all of those things. So um, right now we're working uh, on a funding equity um plan or strategic plan to try to correct the law. And so uh, one of the challenging things in, in this arena is that we we do um, advocate for, for changes in policy that support our work or try to make big systemic changes. And so that's always challenging for funders because, uh, you know, there are there's kind of, I guess, an old status quo that, that a lot of um, founders or, excuse me, foundations don't want to support advocacy work. But that's really what gets at the root of making big, you know, systemic changes. So we're engaged in that right now. It's uh, uh, and fundraising around that. And it's um, been kind of the specific sort of an issue that people can, you know, understand, you know, that this is this is something that's not right, not fair. And um, so um, our funding efforts have been around that. All our communications efforts have been around that recently. And 
and hopefully we'll be able to new, to move the move the needle. Absolutely, and we'll get more into that uh, topic in our little mock debate here in a second. So thanks for bringing that up. Is there a tactic or a strategy? Um, or an approach that you found to be particularly helpful in your fundraising efforts that you could share that maybe other people might have success experimenting with as well? Um, well, I think, you know, one thing is, and, and I don't know, I'm sure most fundraisers have to do that, but I think one of the challenging things is, especially um, those of us that work in nonprofit industries that don't come with things like little cute puppies that we can that we can put on our marketing materials or, you know, how this impacts, you know, it's not a direct service to an individual and that's somewhat challenging. So I think one of the things that I've learned over time to do is to make sure that, you know, we don't want to create programs just to get funding, but what we want to do is to, to make sure that the organization is working almost in programmatic, programmatic areas so that we're not creating something just to try and get a grant but that what we're doing falls into the guidelines of what we know grant makers are interested in funding. So that's kind of a little bit of a delicate balance. And it's been difficult to me because the first nonprofit that I worked for or did development for was the one I founded. And it was very different, you know, having a direct service that directly impacts kids versus, you know, having a nonprofit that serves um, other, that serves a, you know, network of, of schools and, and also is working at the policy level. So I think making sure that when we think about what, what we're doing internally, that we're thinking about, well, what program can that fall under something that we can, um, you know, pitch to particular funders in a way that, you know, they can really see, see what it is, see what it is that we're trying to, trying to achieve. So Again, just trying to figure out, like, you know, what program is that without creating new programs for every grant that we write. That is such an interesting point. And I'm really glad that you brought that up because it's just, um, it's so practical. Like, I I love that. Um, And there's definitely a balance there of not being overly um, sort of reactive to different grant opportunities and just creating programs specifically for them, as you said, but also knowing what is the funding landscape and how do we. How do we sort of massage what we're doing to be in line with what funders want? That's that's super fascinating. Um, where do most new supporters come from um, for your organization? Is it is it mostly foundations that are um, hearing about you through you applying for grants? Is it um, people hearing about you through other mechanisms through the internet? What does that typically look well, like? And and that's kind of interesting for us because for a long time we kind of you know, I had the same main funders, um, just a small handful, uh, but that funded, you know, the entire association. And so, um, you know, you never want to be too dependent, you know, on, on any particular funders. So over the last couple of years, what we've tried to do is really broaden that horizon. And, um, most of it, it's not, you know, they're not finding out about us, we're going to them and, and, you know, trying to educate them about what, what we do. So, um, so even though the majority of our funding comes from, um, family foundations, we have, um, really made an effort to reach out to the corporate community. And, um, oh, I guess in the last, like, you know, 18 months or so, we've, um, 
been able to receive some significant funding from from corporate entities uh, both on both sides of the of the state, and so that's been kind of exciting. Um, I think in the past it's you know somewhat of a political issue charter schools because you know you've got traditional public schools and you've got charter schools, and we need to be able to support all our kids, you know, and and especially all of the kids that are in um, pub, going to public education, public schools. And so because sometimes it's a politicized issue that makes our job a little bit more difficult. Um, but I think just staying true to the fact that what we're doing um, is dedicated to making sure that kids get a good education, that's kind of the bottom line. So whether, you know, uh, a kid goes to a traditional public school or a kid goes to a charter school, the bottom line is that we need to be providing a great education for all of our kids. and that seems to have resonated more so with the corporate community recently. Um, and, and a large part of that is because I don't think we were really out there informing them about what we do. So that's been kind of exciting. And we've also been doing some more just community information kind of opportunities. Um, community, we were having a community breakfast twice a year on both sides of the state, just kind of what's going on in charter schools, kind of state of the sector and, and meet some of the people that are leaders in the community. And, and that's been super helpful with just raising awareness, um, you know, among that audience rather than, you know, just our uh, family foundations that that have been long term supporters. Brilliant. Brilliant. I love that notion of let's bring everyone together. Let's share the update because um, it's a very helpful for them and B sort of presents you guys as the experts in the space, which you are. And then they can hopefully get excited about supporting the work. Um, let's jump into the topic that we touched on earlier, which is um, what will be the topic for our ProCon little mock debate here. And the topic is, should funders be comfortable supporting advocacy work? Um, so would you like to take the pro side that yes, they should, or the con side that I no, they should? I think I'll take the pro, yes, they should. <laughs> Perfect. Not surprising. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> very surprised there. Yeah. Shocking. Um, well, why don't you then make an opening statement on the merits of why funders should be comfortable supporting it? And then I'll try and I'll try and counteract that. And then we can go back and forth. Uh, uh, I think when we look at big, big issues that face us, um, not only as a local community, but as a nation, when we want to see things change, you know, big systemic types of change, like when we talk about we need to improve education, the only way I see that really happening is legislatively. Um, the only thing that would really impact all of us, whether uh, at a local level, a state level, or a national level, is the laws that, that govern um, that particular arena. And so I think it makes perfect sense for funders to be comfortable with the idea of advocacy um, when we're trying to, you know, shape, shape a educational environment that serves all children. Wouldn't you agree that the, that for any given issue that's politicized in any way, that there are probably funders on both sides of whatever that topic is. And that if, it's sort of a norm that everyone follows where we don't really support advocacy. Doesn't that make it sort of a level playing field and all the money goes to support other types of programs and so forth? 
Um, whereas if everyone did support advocacy, then now you have funders' money going to both sides of issues, and it, maybe it's just a wash, and maybe it's not going to make a difference because it's only if one side's giving more that it can really tip the scales, and so therefore it's almost better to have like a like an arms control treaty where we say neither of us are going to do that. We're just going to focus on the programs and we'll let the political stuff, we'll let the chips fall as they will. Well, you know, I, I, I think that that is a good argument. And I can also understand why some funders want to shy away um, from supporting um, advocacy. But as nonprofits, we already have rules on how much of our time and how much of our resources can be spent on advocacy. So it's, you know, I think that there's sometimes kind of a mis, uh, a misnomer about whether or not nonprofits, you know, can advocate for change. And, um, and the, you know, the answer is that, yeah, they can, but there are rules around that. So I think that that addresses part of the situation, but when you look at, if you're, if you want to make changes in, um, big programs, you know, I mean, you, I, you can, I don't know how else you can do it unless you impact the law. And, you know, we know that there's, already plenty of money, you know, being played in, in the political arena. And, um, so I think that having a voice, um, and being able to have a voice sometimes, you know, requires funding is incredibly important if we want to make our society a better place to live. I love it. And I appreciate the argument that you're making that, um, there are some issues that are inherently political and can only be resolved through advocacy. And so we have to either fund them if we care about them or just uh, like accept that we're not going to have a voice there. That's a, that's a really good point. Um, thank you. That was really fun. Um, I love the, uh, I love those debates and, um, you have much more depth of expertise in this particular area, um, as do all of the debaters. So I always know with us with education, you know, I think in, in large part, it's unfortunate that, that the issue itself becomes so politicized. Um, like the funding equity issue that I mentioned before, the thing is, is, you know, that that's kind of just an unintentional consequence. It's not anybody did it in particular, but because the, the overarching view of what's going on in education is so politicized, sometimes it makes it hard just to change these fundamental things that that would make the system work more fairly. Um, you know, really, we shouldn't, you know, I don't think education, I mean, I'm not naive, I know it's a political issue, but I think we got to keep our eye uh, on the outcome. You know, if we, and the outcome is, is that we have operated a system where we have basically promised that we'll provide an education, a, a good public education, and I think we have to deliver on that. Um, no matter what side of the aisle you're sitting on. Very fair. That's a great point to keep in mind at the end of the day. We can jump now into some rapid fire questions. And to start off, if you could describe yourself in one word, what would you say and why? Oh, gosh, I guess I would say passionate. Um, And why? Because... I'm not passionate about everything, but <laughs> the stuff that I'm passionate about, um, I'm, you know, really willing to be uh, vocal about it and, and, you know, try to be out in front and talking about things. 
Absolutely. I love it. Um, is there an exciting shift that you're seeing taking place in the nonprofit world today that you think is uh, very encouraging? Well, I mean, personally for us, the encouraging thing is that, that uh, we are seeing more corporate support. And that's huge for an organization of our size. Um, you know, but but uh, other than that, I think it's almost it's kind of a scary time because um, I guess, you know, tax laws are changing and how people, you know, donate money is changing. Um, so it's always, you know, constantly, um, constantly moving. But but uh, we're in St. Louis uh, is where our office is. And, and St. Louis is an incredibly generous community. And, you know, for that, we're really thankful. Absolutely. Um, one of the things that's deeply fascinating to me and many of us is the power of networks and communities of nonprofit professionals that sort of inspire each other and urge each other on and learn from each other. Are there people throughout your career that have been particularly helpful to your growth as a leader or a development professional that you kind of want to give a shout out to? Wow. I think probably um, when I first started in the nonprofit world, I had absolutely no idea what I was doing in regards to development and fundraising. And I was fortunate enough to um, land at the University of Missouri, St. Louis, uh, who was interested in uh, developing this media literacy organization. And so uh, the folks there that were at the uh, Center for Character and Citizenship at, at University of Missouri, St. Louis, were generous and really um, taught me the ropes of, of how you need to fundraise and, and how to write a grant. I mean, everything from when I first started there, I had absolutely no idea how you did this. And, and um, so they said, you can have a home and, and they helped uh, teach me how to, how to do this, do this work. That is awesome. Yeah. I feel like we never forget the institutions or the individuals that show us the first couple steps down the road. Right. Uh, I remember I got there and there was a, it was a week first out. There was a million dollar grant that was available and it was like, this doesn't have anything to do with media literacy. (laughs) It was like, well, we looked at it closer and we thought, yeah, you know what, actually this does fit. And so it was, you know, part of our larger program, but, you know, just looking at things creatively, it was, it was really eye opening. I love it. Um, is there something you understand now that you didn't appreciate as much a decade ago? Oh, there's all sorts of things. Um, uh, I mean, I'm trying to narrow it down, but, um, I would say, you know, in, in the, uh, fundraising realm, realm, I think also one thing that I've learned is that we also need to give back, you know? Um, so even though as an organization, we're looking for funders and we're looking for people to invest in us. And I think we need to do that as well. And, you know, even if, if it's on a much smaller scale as us individually, but um, I, I've learned that, you know, uh, we as an organi- organization also try to give back to the community and support our friends and supporters. And so that when we all work together, it just amplifies um, what we can do. Wonderful. Beautifully put. Um, thank you so much for spending the time with us. I know this is sort of a crazy time of year potentially, but we really appreciate you taking the time. Where can folks find you online if they want to learn more about you or if they want to learn more about the organization? Well, we're, um, our website is 
www.modechartersschools.org. Um, and then personally, you can find me there. And then um, also have a LinkedIn account. And uh, we're also on social media and uh, Facebook and Twitter. So kind of everywhere. <laughs> hopefully, Perfect. hopefully we're easy to find. <laughs> we're everywhere. I love it. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much, Edie. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Grant. Thanks for listening to the Nonprofit Growth Show, presented by Nonprofit Megaphone. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it with a friend or giving us a rating or review on your favorite podcast network. We appreciate your support. Until next time.